Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, out loud, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 25. This is a—I find this to be a disturbing chapter on a lot of levels here. Um, I mean, just right off the bat, Samuel dies uh, without uh, much fanfare or uh, elaboration there. Um, and it, it kind of just gets worse from there. Um, you have a very perplexing scene between David and a place that he would go for support. And it seems to be uh, sort of fast that all of a sudden we go from, you're not going to support me? Well, then, okay, may God smite you. And we, we get to that. And then you get Abigail here, who I think is really kind of maybe the central character of this story, Abigail, um, who then, well... Uh, you know, so much for me call. So I mean, this is a this is a this is a strange chapter for a lot of reasons. Interesting, we have the number five pop up uh, several times again. There's a lot of things going on here that I'm looking forward to talking about today. As our guest, we've got returning Pastor Kevin Martin, pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Rolla, North Carolina. Good morning, brother. I think you picked a chapter uh, with a lot of heavy lifting here. So I'm so glad that we have you. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I did look ahead at the choices, and I, I, I do have a special fondness for this one, so excited okay. about being on today. Okay, well, that that's that's a relief, you know, because I, I feel like sometimes, you know, I get these reactions like, uh, you know, I I, uh, I, would, I was, you know, they asked me if I would do this chapter, and then I looked at it, and I said, what is this cruel joke? But no, this is this is <laughs> this is good, and I and I like these chapters because I feel like there's kind of more to kind of you know put our heads together on and, and kind of try to work through and figure out here. I think that the the questions that arise from oh, chapters yeah. like this are really uh, profitable. They are. I agree. Well, let's uh, before we uh, take a look at some of the the context questions here, let's just get started with a prayer. If you uh, would, brother, open us up with that. Yeah, let us pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, as we search your scriptures, we often run into things that are not always immediately understandable to us. We pray that you would grant us wisdom, and that above all, you would grant us faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, and the knowledge that he indeed is the one that we meet in every page of your holy word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's look at a couple of context things here. One thing, this chapter, um, you know, it seems to kind of just hit you out of nowhere. Now, Samuel died. Um, now, it does seem like that is actually more of a continuation of the previous chapter. Uh, you know, like, and if uh, you look at the ESV, for example, it's got one heading that says the death of Samuel. And then not very yeah. long after, David and Abigail. So uh, in, in some ways, this is just continuing what was going on before, which is a pretty big turning point here that David uh, makes an oath to Saul not to wipe out his descendants. That's, this is uh, 24 verse 22. Saul goes home with his men, uh, doesn't take David, extends mercy to him in repentance. Um, David and his men uh, go back up to the stronghold. Samuel dies. Uh, it's kind of like all these things kind of happen right around the same time, I think, signaling a new stage in the conflict between Saul and David. What do you, what do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and you kind of get the sense, I think, why it's important is that Samuel was the one who is kind of standing between um, Saul doing 
what he wished to David. Yeah. And now that he's out of the way, yeah, now there's there's nothing really holding Saul back. I I, I mean I think so. I that in in many ways Samuel was sort of the uh, the chain or the leash on this mad dog, and w- without that, you know. So I I wonder how much that'll play into the story and the way that David, in some ways, seemingly changes his behavior. Um, if it is in, in some ways because he he no longer has the protection of Samuel, like we saw earlier, he did actually uh, go and hide with Samuel for for a time, but um. A- yeah. Anything else from the context here you think that's helpful before we give the chapter a read through? No, I mean I think I, I think that's that's good. Yeah. All right, let's let's go ahead and dive into it then. So first Samuel chapter twenty five from the top here in the English Standard Version. Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. And there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, the name of this man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, so David sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him, Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. I hear that you have shears. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son, David. When David's young men came, they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and then they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained with the baggage. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to greet our master, and he railed at them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we suffered no harm. And we did not miss anything when we were in the fields, as long as we went with them. They were a wall to us, both by night and by day, all the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know this, and consider that you what you should do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his house, and he is such a worthless man that no one can, that one cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste and took two hundred loaves and two skins of wine, and five sheep already prepared, and five seahs of parched grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins, and two hundred cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, Go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. 
As she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. Let not my lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young man of my lord whom you sent. Now then, my lord, as the lord lives, and as your soul lives, because the lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then, let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my lord be as Nabal. And now, let this present that your servant has brought to my lord be given to the young men who follow my lord. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the lord will certainly make my lord a sure house, because my lord is fighting the battles of the lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the lord your god. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling, and when the Lord has done to my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause or for my Lord working salvation for himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. For as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been left to Nabal so much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she brought what she had brought him. And he said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have obeyed your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. She told him nothing at all until the morning light. In the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him and he became a stone. About ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, who has avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal, and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. Then David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David came to Abigail at Carmel, they said to her, David has sent us to you to take you to him as his wife. And she rose and bowed with her face to the ground and said, Behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail hurried and rose and mounted a donkey, and her five young women attended her. 
She followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and both of them became his wives. Saul had given Michal his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was of Galim. All right, a lot of things going on in this chapter. A lot of questions, I think. Uh, I think the thing that stands out to me is just how, I guess, up to this point, and, and maybe this speaks to what we were talking about at the beginning, about this turning point. Up to this point, David's kind of gone from place to place. He's gone to a city. He's uh, inquired of the Lord, and the Lord says, yeah, they're going to give you up if you stay here. So he goes on to the next place, right? So he's, like, bouncing around from place to place. He never, like, stops and says, oh, you ingrates, I'm burning you to the ground. And that's what he does here, though. Um, so, I mean, he, he, like, just, he goes so quickly to violence, and, and Abigail swoops in to, to stop the bloodshed, but <laughs> in the process, she throws her husband under the bus. Um, David is like, you know, okay, I'll listen to you, thinking to himself, like, and I'll take you as a wife, it seems. I mean, like, so, and then, of course, he, he takes two wives in the end, and his his wife was already given away to somebody else, and it's just you're just like, what is going on here? This is this is really messy. So I mean, I don't know. Just just I think the way that there's just kind of like all this uh, stuff that just kind of feels scandalous from our modern perspective. But I I don't know if if you have any kind of just general thoughts on that, or if there's anything that for you is really what kind of stands out in the chapter more so. No, I mean, I yeah. So how did you and mom meet, Dad? <laughs> I know. Kind of an interesting story, son. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe online dating isn't so bad, right? <laughs> oh, um, uh, um, I think that it has a lot to do with the chapter that you did before. I, I think David is close to despair here. Um, he knows that Saul is going to try to kill him. Yeah. And when he hears that Samuel is gone, and even when Samuel was alive, Saul was trying to kill him. Yeah. But could be, you know, could change his mind, could turn around and go back home. Now there's nothing to deter him. And I think David is is I think he's acting out of out of despair. I think he's like, I should have killed that guy when I had the chance. You know, what was <laughs> yeah. I thinking about? I think he's yeah. I think he's both angry, I think he's mad, I think he's a little like Jeremiah, you know. What well, well, why do you put me in this position? What did I ever do to you? You know? Yeah. I was just a kid. You know, I was minding my own business. So I think that for me explains the change in his attitude the change in his behavior. Um, yeah. He's, he's kind of losing it a little bit in, in this chapter. Uh, one, one thing that the text, you know very well, in 1 Samuel 25, God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him, that that is not what the Hebrew says. Uh, the King James yeah. translates that correctly. Leaves uh, uh, one who pisseth against the wall is what the King James says and what David says. It's important, I think, even though some 
you know, see that as vulgar. And so it's been cleaned up uh, in, in our translations. David is really angry. I mean, he is not in control of his emotions right now. Yeah. I mean, this is a man on the edge. And a lot of the little details like that in the story that kind of get cleaned up for us, uh, I think, are important. And I kind of see Abigail as as heaven sent um, yeah. to stop him from doing something that even he knows to be wrong. Uh, verse 39, when he says, blessed be the Lord who has avenged the insult and has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. That's kind of an important verse to me because he knew, like you're saying, David never acted like this before. Yeah. You know, when, when he wasn't, when the men of Kyla were going to turn him in, he didn't kill them all. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> he right. So, so I think those details, he knows that what he was going to do to Nabal was wrong. And yet he was going to do it anyway. And the sin against conscience, you know, is a very serious sin, and David is on the brink of that sin. I I think that everything has led up to this point. He's been sorely pressed. I mean, on a human level, we would say, well, he's desperate for a reason. But I think it's very clear that no matter how much injustice we suffer, no matter how dire our lot may be, it's never an excuse to do what we know to be wrong because the conscious willful sin is, is a mortal sin. It, it is faith destroying. And while some are recalled from that abyss, you know, there's no guarantee. So I think this is a really important chapter and God sends a, a messenger, literally an angel in Abigail to stop him, you know, to, you know, make him breathe, make him rethink. Oh, and David must really like roast sheep and uh, raisin cake. What have you got? I kind of find there's a little humor in this scene, too. She comes out with this huge feast, and he's yeah. like, hey, don't get in my way. I'm out. I got somebody I got to kill. She's like, well, you look hungry. Oh, oh, is that roast lamb? Oh, raisin cake. <laughs> I love raisin cakes. Yeah, I didn't know that you guys were hungry. If I'd only known, hey, I would have. And and that takes the edge of his attitude a little bit here. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, to, to I think kind of what you're saying here, like, you know, is he hangry? You know, I mean, like, you know, he's running around the wilderness, nothing bit. to eat. You know, I mean, like, who knows when the last time was that he had like a decent meal. And I mean, is it just, you know. I mean, just like the lack of sleep, the desperation, the depression, the hunger, right? I mean, it's all the, that just doing the talking here. I mean, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, it really, like it really, I mean, it speaks to how we all are when we're pushed to our creaturely limits, right? It's like that Snickers commercial, you know, those where people are monsters, and, and they know you're yeah, not right. yourself when you don't have a Snickers. Uh, yeah. No, I think yeah. you're actually right, and and this is something too that I think is really important about this chapter is that the the heroes of faith, which David is, and even a Christ figure, which David is, are not plaster saints. They are flesh and blood. They are yeah. real human beings. They have real emotions. They are, when they're hungry and they're tired 
and they're hounded, they they can snap. And and these are real people. This isn't this isn't a made up story. This isn't Homer in the Iliad. Okay, this is recounting real history with real people. Yeah. So yeah, well, I, I, I think I, I think it really um it complements some of the stuff we saw back in chapter twenty four. Where where David has this um this this crisis of conscience right and uh, we read mm-hmm. how you know he he goes and he and he cuts off this the, the hem it says like the corner of his robe maybe like the hem of his robe but like once once he had done that his it says his heart struck him and I I mean and the way he he goes out with this then you know and the way he talks to Saul I mean. He, he's re, he's repentant. I mean, it, it, this isn't like, hey, look, Saul, I, I just, you know, all I did was just cut off a little piece here just to prove it, you know? Like, but I, I don't feel bad about anything. I'm just, you know, just demonstrating to you, you know, like, you know, I was totally above board. My motives were totally pure the whole time. Uh, no, I mean, like, he, mm. he really, he seems to be repenting of some kind of evil. And so, I mean, I don't know exactly how to still to connect the dots about, you know, was he was he planning on, you know, he's going to cut off the hem of his robe. And then when Saul put it back on and said, <gasps> that's when he'd like jump oh, out and stab oh. him or something. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't know like what exactly like, oh, no, the plan I, was. I, I think, I think, I think you're, con- I think you connected the dot really well in that he knew that he crossed a line Yeah. when he seriously thought about killing him yeah. and cutting off the hem of the robe was sort of like, let's see if I lift my hand literally against him, how I feel about that. And his conscience struck him. But, you know, once you've crossed that line, once you do what you know to be evil, it's a lot easier the next time to just go ahead and do it. And I think a little bit, that's what we're seeing in this chapter. David was repentant, but mm, the Rubicon was crossed. The yeah. thought of of and and Abigail keeps saying, God has kept you back from saving with your own hand. And there's a part of us that goes, well, what's wrong with that? You know, self defense yeah. is always you know legitimate, but in the Lord's economy, that is a lack of faith because faith is trusting God to save us. And David, Amen. David, kind of crossed the line, and you put your finger right on it, and it's hard for him to pull back. He's, he's, he's on the slippery slope and he's sliding down all through chapter 25. And were it not for the, the comely Abigail, who was a really good cook, you know, he, he, he might've, he might've ended up like Saul himself. Well, see, in many ways, uh, we've kind of already hinted at this in many ways, he does become like Saul and he's already starting to act like Saul in a certain level. Um, And of course it's, it's going to be, it's going to be really ironic, right, when um, some of the same stuff that Saul was doing, right, is going to end up being what, what David does, like when it comes to, like, for instance, yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, Bathsheba and, and the rest. So, I, I mean, there are a lot of um, these, like, really unfortunate parallels that, that really, I think, just do a lot to disabuse us of this idea that, Oh, Saul was a terrible king, and oh, but David was like a knight in shining armor. No, I mean, <laughs> it's oh. this is this is the, the the common pattern here. You know that the spirit comes upon these men. They, they're they're humble. They're they're submissive to the will of the Lord. They act boldly, 
uh, lots of, they, they speak the words of the Lord, right? But the thing is, the sinful nature is still there, and it will rear its ugly head, especially um, if you stay in power long enough. But uh, we got to take our short yep. break here. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 25 here on Nice Strong Word, and we'll be right back. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall thy word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. How was your day? Fine. Did you learn anything new? No. Anything I should know? No. Is everything okay? Yeah. Sometimes it can be hard to connect with teens. Use Connect With Me activity cards to deepen your conversations. Visit health.mo.gov connect to access these free cards and other resources. A message from the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 25 today, joined by our guest, Pastor Kevin Martin, pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church in Rolla, North Carolina. Uh, looking at this chapter here where, yeah, David, it seems, uh, you know, to, to say what you were saying earlier, you know, has, has crossed the line here and is starting to become more and more like Saul, unfortunately. And you see a little bit of this here in chapter 25 really kind of from beginning to end here. A lot of questions uh, that we'll still want to try to take a look at here. If you've got a question for us, give us a call if you're listening live, 1-800-730-2727. If you're in St. Louis, you can call 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or you can hop on the live stream. You can put your comments just right there in the box, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Yeah, kind of talking about how justified would David be in taking offense, which maybe is a separate question than, you know, how justified was he in saying, you know, I'm just going to like, you know, burn this thing to the ground. Um, And then another question here kind of, well, 
it, it seems like there's like a few gaps here, right? Like we, we have filled in the blank at the end, you know, oh, well, McCall was, was given away, which kind of makes us feel a little bit better <laughs> about the thing with Abigail, <laughs> though he still takes two wives. So, I mean, like th there are some blanks, though, that we want to <laughs> maybe try to take a look at. Those are some good questions there. Um, want to make sure to thank our uh, supporters, our underwriters of the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for your support. Their website, lhfmissions.org. All right, so let's kind of get into some of these details here. So, I mean, Samuel dies, and I think I think you're you're absolutely right that uh, in, in this situation here, he's got to feel even more desperate. I mean, it says there also before that, um, but David and his men went up to the stronghold, which is to say that okay, uh, Saul went home, you know, but but David still like out in the wilderness, like, uh, I don't feel safe yet though. So, I mean, the, nope. the combination of he, he didn't even then feel safe. And then Samuel dies, who would be like, you know, the person who could, with the most clout, who could stick up for him and be like, yeah, no, I anointed him guys. I, I mean, like, you know, do, do the other, you know, 11 tribes besides Judah, Really, I mean, like, are they really going to support his claim, you know, and believe him when he says, no, Samuel anointed me before, yeah, well, but when he died, so you can't ask him, of course, but but I, he really did. So, I mean, like, that, that I think, kind of desperation, I, I think, yeah, definitely pushes him to the edge. And then there's the situation here that arises. I, I guess the question then, to, to go to that Facebook question I was mentioning, you know, does David have cause to be offended? I, I mean, um what, was what he was doing here taking care of these uh, of these shepherds, or I mean, I mean, we get, I guess we should ask, you know, twice since he taking care of them or just simply not killing them. I I don't know. I mean, like, kind of help connect some of these dots for us here. Yeah, I mean, um, in the ancient world, he had a human cause for for doing what he did, and this is the difference between David and Solomon, where he's teetering on the brink. Hospitality is huge in the ancient world. Also, this is a world not like, uh, I mean, this is, this is an undeveloped country. This is more tribal warlords, small yeah. groups. Uh, and there are complex patronage systems and deals. Yeah. And David is really living like a tribal warlord, uh, more than anything else. I mean, it's just, well, more like Afghanistan, okay, than it's like anything in Western yeah. Europe or the United States. So on according to the codes of his day and the culture in which he lived, he could blamelessly have wiped out Nabal for not reciprocating his protection and offering hospitality. Some combination of those two would have been in a court, which they didn't really have, but if there were, he would have been acquitted if he killed him, I would say. But this is where Abigail's speech is really the heart of this chapter and so important because she reminds him, you fight the battles of the Lord so there can be no guilt you know, found within you. And the Lord has restrained you, and he will make you a sure house because you fight the battles of the Lord. Evil shall not be found in you as long as you live. If men rise up, to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be found in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies who shall sling out as from the hollow of the sling. I mean, in some ways, this is a chapter where David 
faces the real crisis, am I going to live by the laws of human beings or am I going to live by faith in God? And, and Abigail is very much the messenger of, of the gospel and reminding the anointed one who he is. I, and, I really like the way you've lined that up. I, I think you're, I, th- I think you're absolutely right that, I mean, in, in the context here, um, you know, like you were saying, it's kind of more like, you know, confederation of, of, of tribes, you know, like you were saying with patronage, which is, uh, you know, we, we saw that with Doeg, right. That, you know, apparently Saul was yeah. like a, like a patron or a supporter of the like you know, pastors guild. Right. And so they owed him allegiance. I mean, like there, this was the stuff that was going on. And so, you know, David doing this uh, for for Nabal, and then to for Nabal to just thanklessly, right, not even give him this one meal, right? I mean, like you're you're right. I think I think he would have cause on that human level, but but like you're saying, I mean, and this is consistent. I think with what we see throughout the scriptures, uh, we've we've seen this. I think when we look at uh, the letters of Saint Paul, where the way he speaks is just well, yeah, you know. You, you have rights and, you know, you have knowledge, right? Like in first Corinthians, right? And yeah, you know, yeah. I, I guess you're technically right, you know, that there, you know, the, the, that God is not a real thing. It's a figment of the imagination. But, you know, like this is idea that, but if you are in Christ, like he's called you to something better than that. He's, he's called you to, to show a better way, not just to do the, the things of the darkness that are okay. Sure. You, you have the legal right to that, um, but to actually shine a light and do something different that's not just the, the status quo here. Right. Right. And, yeah, I mean, I, th- this, is, this is where Christ really does come through on every page. He calls us to a very different way of life. And the intersections between the kingdoms of earth and the city of God are, are, are complex and they tug at us and they pulled us in different directions. And we, we all have this battle. And like well, Paul and I says, think there's what's right and there's what's edifying. <laughs> Those are well, often not the same thing. Exactly. And I think that juxtaposition is, uh, is shown very poetically here, which is Nabal and Abigail. Right. And I guess this is something I, looking back, I was like, okay, I should have said that. Um, because there's actually a pun. You mentioned that there's some humor in this. I, I think that oh, the yeah, most yeah, deliberate yeah, yeah. humor here is with his name. Okay, yeah. so name. Nabal yeah. in in Hebrew is very similar to Nabalah, which means folly, you know, foolishness. Uh, so yeah. y- you got that on the one hand, and then on the other, um, you've got Abigail, which now, now do you what's Abigail's? Do you know that one? No, I don't. I mean, like, let me see. It's, right. it's got Av on the front. Like, so, like, you know, maybe yeah. something like, you know, like, delighted father. So, I mean, so maybe there's a little bit of an idea of, like, uh, you know, like, like pleasing to parents, right? Um, or, yeah, like, the you delight know, pa- pa- of the father or something? Yeah. You know, may, may, so maybe there's something like that, which I think, you know, you, you could see as a... Uh, as a way of, I mean, uh, it's interesting too, the way that she speaks to David, you know, calls him my Lord. Um, you know, so, so maybe there is this idea of like, you can maybe just kind of summarize it in contrast to Nabal is like kind of almost kind of meaning like, I don't know, like reverence or something like this. Right. Um, which, which kind of, yeah, you know, so something like, 
you know, like, uh, you know, respect and reverence on the one hand versus just this foolish disregard. And, and you have these two well, uh, set up like that. I'd even go a little farther because I think, yeah, I mean, I think it can mean something like the delight of the father. A lot of people kind of snicker at this that, well, McCall's not around. Abigail's quite hot, you know, and so, <laughs> hey, your husband's dead. But, you know, I don't think that's what's going on here at all. He's marrying her for the word of God that she brought him. It is David's way of saying, I want to marry that. I want to be united to that word and that way of life. I want you to always be telling me this. I want to link myself to this. It's a, it's a marriage feast of the lamb kind of thing. I mean, he's like, whoa, I'm supposed to be the Christ, and yet you're the one who's bringing the Father's word and delight to my ears. I need to be united to that. So he doesn't marry her for her money or for her looks. He marries her for her faith and for the word of God that she is and brings. Well, it is it is and striking. that kind of changes the whole thing a little bit in that way, yeah. too. Well, I mean, I, I think I think you're definitely onto something there because, like you were saying before about the the context. I mean, as this, you know, Judahite, you know, warlord, basically. I mean, his 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 uh marriage, right? That's a that's a bartering chip. That that's a that's an alliance maker, right? I, I oh, mean, yeah. like if that's yeah. if that's your situation, you know, you, you could you don't you don't just you know marry for love you, you you like you you wait and you say like no. oh hey look this is a very good strategic alliance or i don't know let's go down to gath and find myself a you know a gathite wife so that i can you know get their support and we'll fight together against saul or, I, I mean like that's the kind of way of thinking um that would have yeah. been pretty i mean op, i mean there's there's probably somebody who was recommending that to david so i, I think yeah oh, it's sure. pretty pretty i mean it's it's really something then for him to to marry her actually right um i mean that that is actually very different from what he could have done because you know typically if the warlord comes and says oh i'm just going to kill all the males i mean the females don't get off either so the fact that he instead marries her i mean that that is a big break from what would have been expected perhaps of a man of power right because it it hinders what other marriage alliances he can make down the road to some extent. Yeah. Well, and, and then just, you know, so, if he, if he really was just acting out of lust, I mean, he wouldn't have needed to marry her. Um, it, I think oh, in no. this, in, no, in he this could kind have of, taken her captive and made her a yeah. concubine. Yeah. yeah the, the marriage is a whole, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a little bit like, you know, Ruth and Naomi, I'm going to go with you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. I'm going to follow you because of your God and the word that you have. I want to be united to that. And I don't care about my human prospects. And David is kind of throwing all that to wind and like, hey, this woman has brought the voice of God. I hear the voice of God, the voice of the Father. And I want to be united to that. That's the allegiance that I care about. So he's really making a heavenly allegiance instead of an earthly one by marrying her. Well, and, and Abigail, I think, really— comes through as as a christ figure in her own way uh, i'm thinking back yeah. to i'm thinking back to chapter 18 because i mean she's really the intercession here is a lot like the intercession i guess it was 18 or 19 i think probably 19 um she it's very much similar to the intercession of jonathan and mikal 
uh, to to their father Saul, right? Where you know Jonathan yeah. is saying like, "Hey, what? Why should you? You know, like this this man's been loyal, right? Like, why would you return him um, evil for his good, right? I mean, I mean that, and that's the same kind of language that's being used here in this chapter." Uh, you know, and, and Mikal, right? We talked about how she really is serving her vocationist daughter by preventing her father from incurring this uh, this needless guilt, uh, this needless uh, guilt of innocent blood at his hands. So, I mean, they're they're really, I mean, it's it's sort of interesting there, and I, like it kind of makes me wonder about the the thing about her name then, like you know, you know, Abigail, like you know, to this delighting the father, or you know, like honoring the father, because it, it it's very much like what what, what mccall was doing with her father saul um which i mean on the one hand he's kind of another oh no that's a disturbing parallel between saul and david um but but again um putting like abigail and jonathan and mccall all um as, as types of christ also in these chapters well yeah i mean i abigail and the this is i mean this is a powerful chapter because in many ways she is the christ figure here not david yeah I mean, David is becoming stand-in for Saul and yep. is really starting to lose it. And in marrying her, it's almost the two become one. And David is sort of rechristed, not because it dwells in him, but it's reliance on the word, it's faith and trust. And when he's, by uniting himself with Abigail, he takes that, that Christ-likeness into himself in a very literal kind of way with that, that marriage. Uh, I think and, we probably. Uh, and I'm sorry. I was, and he's a different guy after this. He is a different guy. No, that, that's right. I mean, like like Saul show, showing some repentance in the previous chapter. I mean, David really shows repentance here. Uh, I was going to say, I, I hope I haven't neglected this too long. I see that there, we do have a call uh, on the line here. We got Cheryl with a with a comment here. Good morning, Cheryl. Hey, uh, appreciate uh, your your comments. You have some really cool observations. What do you got for us today? Well, I was listening to the part where you were talking about the meanings of names, and my yep. daughter had that name Abigail in her oh. mind, her next child possibly, and it means my father's joy or source of joy. Yeah. And mm. she's well, she likes the meanings of names. Well, when Abigail is talking about Nabal, the meaning of his name, yeah, is Ollie is with him, she says, and. Um, <laughs> I, it reminded me of Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And I think that, that she is pointing out that, that Nabal's relationship with God is just the opposite of David's relationship with God. Thank you, Cheryl. I, you know, that it is interesting to consider that also, that, you know, is it is it more than just, you know— on a certain level that, you know, it, it's like, you know, honoring of like, you know, the elders or the, the, the men in authority, right. Which would be like David, you know, and she, and she does do that here, but on that certain level that, you know, Nabal is on a certain level, um, you know, neglecting any honor of spiritual father, right. Whereas Abigail is, is really showing, um, piety. I mean, real. I mean, I mean, you could kind of almost paraphrase her name as piety in that respect um, by honoring mm -hmm. God the Father. Well, what do you think? Oh, um, yeah. No, no. I, I, I think there's, I think there's a lot in that. I'm just thinking about that. I'm thinking also how 
Jesus is the one in whom the Father delights. He is literally the Father's joy. Ah, uh, yeah. And I, I, I keep thinking of of her as very literal Christ figure in this chapter. Because you're right. Not that we should peek ahead to tomorrow, but David will spare Saul's life again. And a lot of scholars, you know, higher critical scholars, go, oh, they're just repeating the same story. But no. Because I think going into chapter 25, he's like, man, if I had a chance to kill him again, I'm definitely going to kill him. And it was the marriage with Abigail and that whole incident that has changed David back to the Christ figure that he's supposed to be. Although, yeah. you know, as you say, the longer he's in power, the more those, yeah. those, those human things will, will present from time to time. But the one thing that makes David different than Saul is every time it's pointed out to him, he repents. And, and, and he says, yep, I did that, and I deserve to die. So, I, I really uh, like like the connection you were just making, um, you know, of well, connecting Abigail as like a, as a Christological title. Um, yeah, you think of course of, of the baptism of the Lord Jesus. Um, you know, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Right? I mean, the Father is saying, "With him, yeah. I am well pleased." I mean, it's pretty much like you know, Abigail. Um, it's or, Abigail's or name. That, <laughs> right yeah, it's, that's the, that's the name. I mean, in fact, actually. Um, it's it's almost uh, exactly what the Lord Jesus Himself says. I think it's in John eight, where He says, um, "You know, for this reason, the Father loves me." Um, and in the context there, love means uh, you know, like favors me or or is, or is delighted or happy with me. In contrast to the other bad shepherds of the context there, he, He's a good one. So, um, I mean, yeah, I think I think in that respect, I mean, Abigail, it's, it is a very I mean, it's a fitting Christological title. Um, well, you know, I could just talk about that the whole rest of the time, but <laughs> with only about 10 minutes here. Uh, so skipping ahead, we, we kind of talked a little bit about already, you know, Cheryl mentioned it again as well. So what Nabal means. All right, just going to ask the question, uh, see if you maybe have uh, a quick answer for us here. Is it cool? <laughs> yeah, yes, um, David has cause. Nabal has sinned, right? Is it cool that Abigail throws her husband under the bus? <laughs> well, I mean, she... Doesn't seem I, too reverent. I, I think she has... Um, how shall I put it? I think she's putting the best construction on this. So... I'm going to dissent that she's throwing him under the bus. I know that outwardly it looks like she is, but given everything that's gone on, I think that she's doing the best she can to save the lives of the household, <laughs> which she yeah. ends up doing. Because as you pointed out, with the males dead, David could just take the women as slaves, as captive, and slay the ones that, you know, weren't human trafficked, basically. Yeah. So, and also, she's not lying. Um, the hospitality codes, the patronage system, while the details of that are, are difficult for us, both in the story and what we really know about what those codes, um, um, the ball is really worthy of death. And if she hadn't stopped David, he was a dead man. And so yep. was everybody else in their house. 
So I don't think she's so much throwing him under the bus as she's refusing to be an accomplice in 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 his folly and his evil. No, I, I, I think I, I think she's a good and godly woman. I I won't hear anything against her honor. <laughs> um, no, I think she's doing the right thing, actually. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree with you. I I think that um, she is saving her husband's life, <laughs> and it's uh, I mean, she has to, she has to like call him out for what he actually is, which is a good for nothing, right? And that's why it says they're a worthless yep. man. Um, he, you know, he's a good for nothing. Yep. He just he just he just parties and doesn't help people. Yes, he's terrible. Um, so he, he she has to she has to say that. But in, in the context of saving his life and and, and, say, and saving everything from just destruction and all the rest is permissible, right? And, and a comparison, again, to McCall, right? Uh, one, one of our viewers on Facebook mentioned yeah. it, too. Uh, I mean, McCall right, just right. lied to, to Saul, right, in order to yeah. save a life, right? right. So, I right. mean, like, right. when, when, you're, when, you're, <laughs> when you're saving a life from immediate danger, like, you know, the, there's a, there's a certain, certain threshold that— is permissible under the circumstances, right? Um, okay. I, I think so. <laughs> so. So let's get back to the food, right? Okay, so she knows just what to make, David, right? Um, okay. She does. Do you, do you see... Do, do you see anything in the in the symbolism here, or, or the numbers? I mean, is there symbolism, really, is the question I'm getting at. I'll be totally honest. Until you mentioned that five comes up again, I had not really noticed that, nor had I given it any thought. Um. So it is interesting, though, five sheep, five seas, she has five handmaids. I'm thinking yeah. there's got to be something in it, but I'll, I'll be honest. What, what, do you, what do you think it is? What, 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 what do you think the significance of five? Because I've forgotten off the top of my head where else it had occurred yeah. uh, in the chapters. I haven't been reading them sequentially. So, so this is, I mean, it's interesting because we have five occur three times in the chapter, which just, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of like when something happens three times in rapid succession, it's just sort of like, hi, look at this detail. Um, and, and we've seen this already because, what, there were there were five gold tumors and uh, five gold mice, okay, right, right, made for the five right. lords of the Philistines. Right. And David yes. took five smooth stones to do battle and slay uh, the Philistine, right? So yeah. the the the... the the, the I guess the direction like I've been going in my head is like, I mean, because think about it, right? I mean, it doesn't actually narrate anything about how many stones he used. I feel like it might be inviting no. us to say like, okay, so he, he took the one stone, right, and slayed the 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 Gathite Philistine, but he still got the other four in his bag, right? Because um, yeah. he's coming after the yeah. other four. So I, I I wonder if like these number five like just keeps coming up is this way of signaling, I mean, almost like eschatologically in a sense that like David's the guy who's going to finish these enemies off. Like he's the one who's going to give God's people rest from their enemies. And the fact that it just keeps coming up, I mean, and this is what Abigail said, right? Like, you know, like you fight, you you fight the battles of the Lord, you know, and when you, when you rule, there can't be guilt on your hands. I mean, I mean, it's because he stands for something greater than himself. I mean, in this moment, he shows that he is just, you know, flesh and blood. But there's this sense in the text, I think, and the number five, I think, maybe gets at it, that he stands for something greater. Ah, oh, I I, 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 I like that. 
because I think her speech is the heart of this chapter and that you fight the battles of the Lord. So not only do you have to be above it, but you also, you can't live by human codes. Even if human codes justify your action, God's ways are not our ways. They are so high above us. Amen. And, um, I don't know if it's going too much, but like you got five and two also, and so you wonder to what extent this is highlighting mm. that, that rest idea also. So you know he's the I one. I know who what five and the... two remind us of. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like we, not the first time or the last time that we've got five and two, right? So there's something there. No. Um, okay, yeah, so so then seven, just so. just uh, like you know, a couple of minutes left here. Okay, so. So, so in, in the end, uh, so for all this, like, okay, repentance, hooray, um, it says there at the end that he takes two wives. David, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Like, what, so what's, I, I don't know, why, why, why this downer here at the end, right? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I mean, it kind of ruins the love story. If you just married Abigail, but oh, <laughs> I, because... Because it's not about a love story. And my quick take, I know, I know we're just about out of time. I think he marries Abigail to unite himself to the heavenly way of doing things because of the words she brought and recognizing, you know, the divinity in that. But Ahinoham may just be straight up, well, he's still a Judaic tribal warlord. And yeah. that was probably a wife on a human level. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Now, I, I like the suggestion. Has, yeah. no, like you're saying, like like he's still like yeah. We we see repentance, but lest we think that you know I, I don't know like you know he marries Abigail and then they like, right off into the sunset happily ever after, right? He's still a man. Happily ever after. He, you know, right? Like he's he's gonna mess not up again. Quite. It's not yeah. awesome, Harriet. <laughs> so, man, wow, brother, a lot a lot of stuff here, but we covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much. I appreciate your boldness and helping us work through this stuff today. God bless you. Look forward to having it, having you on again soon. Thank you. Everybody, that was Pastor Kevin Martin, our Savior, Rala, North Carolina, going on to Chapter 26. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.